Hello, and welcome to this MGMA Industry Insights Podcast. I'm Craig Weberg, Senior Editor for MGMA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Bill Waters, founders of Waters Healthcare Consulting, and Dr. Mac Knight, Senior Vice President at the Coker Group. Bill and Mac will be speaking at the MGMA 2019 Financial Conference in Las Vegas on March 5th. Their session there is titled, Leveraging a Clinical Integration Model for Better Financial Management. Welcome, Bill and Mac. Thank you. And hey, thank Craig. You. Great. Thank you guys both for joining me. Could you both uh, tell us a little, tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves? So, Craig, this is Mac Knight. Uh, I am a internist, hospitalist uh, by training. Uh, in fact, in just a month or so, I'm going to move back into the clinical realm. I've been doing consulting with Coker Group, which is a national healthcare consulting firm uh, based here in Atlanta, where I live. Uh, for about the last five and a half years, and uh, I've enjoyed that very much, but uh, feel the, the pull to get back to the bedside. But even prior to joining Coker, uh, I've had a long-standing uh, interest in new delivery models and uh, ways to truly move the uh, healthcare delivery system uh, from the proverbial volume to value uh, uh, transition. And so uh, that's what I've been doing. And uh, that's why I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you and to give this presentation at the MGMA Financial Conference next year. And I'm uh, Bill Waters, and I am cur currently am uh, the founder and principal of Waters Healthcare Consulting and work with firms such as Coker and independently with health systems and others uh, as it relates to integration strategies and creating a leadership structure with, with service line development and other things that are, that are important to uh, them maintaining financial solvency as they move, as, as Max said, from the volume world into the value world. My background is I'm a, an internist, nephrologist, and critical care physician and became chief medical officer at Tanner Health System in 2007, and then after that time, took on progressive responsibilities to the point that I was over pretty much all of the clinical services, hospitalist anesthesia, ORs, EDs, nursing, and all of the service line development and all of the, uh, all of the physician issues as well. So in doing that, we created a number of uh, strategies that would allow us to achieve clinical integration and use that to build our service lines, but also to build our quality and efficiency so that we were able to prepare ourselves to move forward into the future. And so that's, that's where I come from. All right, well, that sounds like some great experience from both of you. So let's go ahead and jump in and talk a little bit more about clinical integration today. Your session at the 2019 financial conference is titled, Leveraging a Clinical Integration Model for Better Financial Management. Uh, I just want to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, can you tell us what clinical integration is and why our listeners should be interested in this and, and why is it important to medical practices? Well, Craig, again, this is Mac. Let me um, just kind of answer that if I can with a bit of a example and case, small case study, if you will. Uh, again, about uh, 10 years ago, believe it or not, uh, I was uh, a uh, uh, physician executive at a large healthcare system, 
uh, here in the South and uh, became very interested in a model that uh, was being developed and had been developed in Chicago by Advocate Health System there and what they called Advocate Physician Partners. And this was, at least for me, and I think for most, the first example that we had seen of a clinical integration program. And what I found uh, interesting and of value there was that clinical integration was a way to uh, bring clinicians, uh, physicians primarily, but also other types of providers, together with hospital and healthcare systems uh, and their uh, management structure to align around the reliable delivery of high-quality, cost-efficient care. And uh, it really developed simultaneously with the advent of value-based uh, care models, value-based reimbursement models. And over those 10 years, we've certainly seen those grow and become more uh, predominant. Um, there is, of course, MACRA and its two quality payment programs, which are definitely uh, value-based uh, reimbursement models. There are bundled payments that uh, CMS has driven, and now also commercial payers are getting on board with. There are uh, return to um, some uh, capitated payment models which are performance-based, such as CPC Plus. And there's a number of these that I think most everybody uh, is, going, is fairly familiar with. But uh, what was missing as the payers move more towards a value-based model was uh, how do the providers organize themselves, uh, both on the uh, administrative side and the clinical side, to be able to shift care delivery to a more value-based care delivery model. And uh, I think everybody that's uh, uh, been around as long as I have realizes that uh, the majority of the system now operates uh, and uh, uh, is designed to operate mostly in a fee-for-service, fee-for-volume model. And so the question is, how does the delivery system have to change uh, have to be modified both organizationally and operationally to deliver high-value care. And that's, to me, what clinical integration is all about. And that's the, the challenge as you look at uh, different organizations that are taking this on uh, across the country right now. Yeah, that's, so, that's quite co quite cogent set of remarks. I would just add to that that kind of my, my angle on that has been how do you organize or reorganize an institution to even have the promise of achieving that? And how do you do it so that you don't, it's, it's not such a laborious, complex thing that it breaks the bank and it becomes impossible to accomplish? And how do you achieve uh, solvency? How do you achieve prosperity in the fee-for-service period, period that we're in? And, the, and, and then in the volume, I think people don't have as much problem with, I, I mean, in value. I don't think people have as much problem with the concept of volume or value. What's got everybody nervous is what do we do in the transition period? 
and that's really poorly defined in medicine these days. Uh, certainly the government and payers don't have it well defined and we don't either. Um, so the, so the, the fun part of this and the productive, really rewarding part of this is if health systems and practices are able to make the interpersonal commitment to organize themselves and to think of themselves, re, kind of redefine their role in provision of healthcare and are able to do that together, then that's when you step back and uh, don't want to sound uh, don't want to sound maudlin or cheesy about it, but that's when you step back and watch miracles happen in a, in a healthcare system. And it is, I have watched it happen and been a part of it happening. And I will tell you that there's not a more gratifying thing because uh, to watch because immediately financial performance improves, efficiency improves, waste is eliminated, and patient care and satisfaction improve. And the other thing that improves is employee satisfaction. That to include physicians and administrators both. Well, that sounds so amazing. I, I would, I'm kind of, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun thing, and a critical part of that is what I call synergic leadership, which you'll hear me talk about, and um, the concept that doctors and administrators who have largely been at odds with each other, and there's certainly exceptions to that, but largely been at odds with each other since fee-for-service medicine began in America. Um, have the opportunity to become true authentic partners. And when they do, it's, a, it's, absolutely, uh, it's absolutely amazing to watch. And, and so anyway, that's my, more or less my, uh, my, uh, my, certainly not all that I talk about or bring to the table. That's a focus because what I know is that unless you organize that very well and define it, that true clinical integration, true performance improvement, and a truly secure move toward value will not occur. That sounds like, uh, would, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Mac. Yeah, I was just going to add, uh, I, I think uh, really w the impetus for this, uh, which Bill is exactly right, uh, how do you finally bring these two worlds together, the health system, the hospital, and the clinicians, uh, which have traditionally been in, in parallel spaces, if you will, uh, how do you really integrate them? And I think the impetus to that uh, is that four-letter word that uh, both sides uh, are very, very afraid of, and that is risk. Uh, yep. You know, healthcare systems, uh, clinicians have historically been very good at managing clinical risk. I think we're we're all pretty comfortable with uh, doing that. But what scares everybody? Uh, not just the clinicians, but even the people that run hospitals and healthcare systems is how do you manage financial risk? And uh, right. I contend that you can't do that uh, in these parallel spaces any longer, that you've got to come together and you've got to talk about uh, clinical integration of your providers and uh, your uh, organizations to make that happen. And so, uh, uh, you know, as they say, politics makes strange bedfellows. Well, uh, <clears throat> risk and the thought of uh, trying to uh, be successful in a value-based uh, reimbursement world also makes strange bedfellows, but hopefully it'll be, uh, it'll be for the better. And I think it will be. I think, it, as Bill said, I think it'll be a lot of fun and and uh, and even even dare I say miraculous at times. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And I think focusing on the, the, the concept of risk um, is just absolutely critical because really what you're doing with the, is we were talking in the, uh, in our premonitory session prior to the podcast, um, as we were talking about the, the physician is afraid to commit to something that might cause him to have excessive financial risk and exactly the same thing is on the mind of the CEO or the finance person and clearly defining a strategy and proving to oneself that that's not going to be true if everybody truly partners in a synergic process, uh, then that is, as I say, nothing nothing can go forward until that occurs. Um, what I was going to say a minute ago that I omitted to say was that synergic leadership, a term I keep using, really refers to the reality that in the properly organized system and executed system, when physicians and administrative folks work together as they should in this process, the outcome, the, pr the product, is greater than the sum of the simple parts. It's multiplicative in its, in, its, in its ability to be successful in its impact, its reduction of risk, and in its financial outcomes. That sounds, it sounds to me like uh, the clinically integrated model really offers some real potential to move the needle towards the, towards, you know, kind of the, the benefiting all parties, financial, clinical, you know, getting to that triple or quadruple aim of what we're, have all been reading about for the last 20 years or so. To get to the full clinical integration, it sounds like, you know, you need to have the strong leadership. You need to have some pieces in place. And I, and I was going to ask, you know, are there organizational models that allow practices to succeed in clinical integration? Is a clinically integrated network or an ACO a requirement to have clinical integration? Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, sure. I think the, the short answer to that question, Craig, is that there is no one size fits all model that uh, is going to work uh, everywhere. And uh, I think also it's important to recognize that, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of organizations nationwide have gotten through the organizational phase of this and are now looking to the operational phase. So just as a right. couple of examples, um, you know, there are a lot of organizations around uh, that uh, utilize the uh, clinic staff model, if you will, and uh, employ uh, the hospital or a healthcare system employs most of the providers, if not all, uh, in the organization. Well, that can be turned into a clinically integrated uh, program just as easily, uh, if not more easily, than a health system like the one I used to work in where we had employed physicians, uh, but we also had uh, about a third of our medical staff made up of private practicing physicians. And then we had a third of our medical staff that were part of a faculty practice plan at a local medical school. So it, uh, it you know, uh, it, there, there are uh, legal elements that come into play in terms of bringing those disparate groups together and allow them to organize and to contract and to 
do all the uh, administrative contractual things. But again, I think what uh, needs to be emphasized is that once you figured that out, which a, a lot of places are, then what Bill and I really want to talk about is is how you make change at the at the front lines of care delivery. What uh, what do you do with an organization once it's uh, uh, structured and and uh, organized and you know all the all the attorneys have have filled out all the all the blanks on the documents and and you're you're legal and ready to roll. How do you then operationalize that? So again, you can achieve higher value for the patients that you serve, i.e., higher quality per unit of cost. Yeah, yeah. The the um, the the integration models. The, I think uh, those are those are those statements apply to every that Mac just the comments that Mac just made really apply broadly to every uh, situation. If you look at it microscopically, getting back to the concept of you don't need to completely jump into an ACO or a CIN to achieve your initial clinical integration. As a matter of fact, I dare say that might be even a mistake. Maybe, I don't know if you agree with that or not, Mac, but I think a lot of health systems don't do any form of clinical integration um, because they're afraid that an ACO is not the right move or a CIN is not the right move or is too cumbersome or complex for them right now. And the comment I would make is that clinical integration not only can be but should be an evolutionary process. Uh, for example, if you, if you uh, I created uh, an entity called strategic integration agreements, and we use those to, I can go into the details of that now or later, Craig, depending on whatever you, you, you want, but we use those uh, integration agreements to use incentivization and service line development or clinical program development with with leadership from both the hospital and the or the independent orthopedic practice. Matter of fact, I set up five or six clinically uh, programs to generate clinical integration through strategic integration agreements, and every one of the, those practices was independent. Uh, so it's not in any way a requirement that someone is an, an employee or uh, such as that, as long as you configure it to take, as, as, as Max said very importantly just a minute ago, as long as you can, the physicians can help the hospital system minimize the risk, and importantly, the hospital system help the physicians to minimize the risk, usually financial risk, as they achieve conjoint goals or, or, or goals that they can partner on that are critical to service line improvement, financial improvement, uh, Im uh, improvement in patient care, improvement in satisfaction, et cetera. It does not have to be uh, a thing where you re revamp the entire legal structure of the hospital at all, and I don't think it even should be. There are a lot of things where you can do with strategic integration agreements. Some hospital systems use things like gain sharing uh, or even even begin to work with experimental bundled payments with local payers, shared savings, things like that, all kinds of things that can be done. And if you have an efficient, clinically integrated, synergistically led process, you will achieve better patient outcomes at a lower cost and thereby increase hospital margins. You will increase volume. All of the things that we hope for as we kind of uh, 
as we kind of take a, take a deep breath, stick our chest out and march into value. Well, I really want to thank both of you today. And before uh, we close, I'd like to point out that Bill and Mac will be sharing their insights and continuing this discussion at their session on March 5th at the MGMA 2019 Financial Conference in Las Vegas. Again, their session's titled, Leveraging a Clinical Integration Model for Better Financial Management. And I think that title really hits on what we discussed today. To learn more about this session and the conference in general, visit mgma.com slash events. And again, thank you, Bill and Mac, for your time. We really look forward to hearing more on this discussion in Las Vegas. It's our pleasure. We thank look forward Fred. to being there.